Hi, my name is Stephen Mather and I'm one of the co-hosts of Cult Hackers. I was born and raised as one of Jehovah's Witnesses, having left when I was about 30. My daughter was born, who is one of the hosts on this podcast. I'm now trained as an organizational psychologist and so I'm very interested in how organizations work particularly cults, um, and also how people make sense of the world after leaving. So that's a very interesting topic that I think we're going to cover today. So this is a very interesting and special episode, which is going to take a format that we haven't really tried before. Um, so today is primarily about the people involved in the making of and producing of Witness Underground, which, uh, which we've mentioned before. It's a very cool documentary film about a group of young Jehovah's Witnesses who start their own indie record label and their story of leaving and finding a creative life finally free of the restrictive doctrines and practices. So today I'm going to be speaking to the team who are working hard to get this film out there onto the big streaming platforms and promote it to get it out to as many people as possible and some of the guests today will have been directly involved in the making of the film and others will be people who are part of the team promoting it who themselves have fascinating stories and cool projects so we're going to hear from some of those people today right okay so first of all we're going to welcome anthony anthony uh your name is very similar to mine but um perhaps more flourishing anthony mathania is that right uh, yeah, I guess so. No, we say Mathenia here. Oh, Mathenia. Okay. I've heard it about 20 different ways all my life. So I don't well, know. Well, as somebody always gets Mather or Matha or Mather or, yeah, I know yeah. the feeling. Anyway, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. Um, uh, we've also got here Denise, um, and we're going to speak to Denise a bit more detail later, but just say hello, Denise, um, and uh, otherwise it's going to look strange you're just sat there. So welcome, hey. Denise. Hey, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on the podcast. Cool name, Cult Hackers, loving it. Thank you very much. So welcome, Denise. And we've got the man of the moment himself, Scott Homan, um, who has just Hi. arrived as well. So welcome, Scott. Uh, thanks for coming and welcome to the podcast. All right, thank you. Yeah, I didn't. I know I'm not like on the schedule yet, so I'm happy to pop back off. But that's cool. Well, you know, um, you're absolutely welcome. We're going to start with Anthony because um, he's got a bit of a time restriction. So, um, Anthony, thanks for coming on. Do you want to just give us a very potted history? Um, you know how how you ended up. I suppose how did all the things happen to you that made you end up on this podcast right now? Um, <laughs> so what happens? <laughs> Wow, that's a very long story, so I'll <laughs> condense it. <laughs> I, uh, I was raised third generation uh, Jehovah's Witness um, and stay there through most of my young adult life. Um, in the early 2000s, I got involved with the uh, the nuclear gopher scene uh, that, that's pictured in the documentary Witness Underground. I ended up leaving the religion pretty much the same time Ryan Sutter did, who's who's featured in the documentary yep. and then had a bunch of wild and crazy adventures over the years, found out about uh, Scott's work with Witness Underground and uh, watched the documentary, totally floored, blown away by it. It was amazing. And so I was happy to reconnect with, with Ryan and some of the other people and get behind this, uh, this important documentary. Brilliant. Thank you very much for that. So, um, one of the questions I want to ask everybody on this uh, 
podcast today is, you know, why why you're so interested in this project and what is it about the project that that kind of resonated with you? So uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Right. Uh, for nostalgia's sake, I mean, I'm all <laughs> on board with Witness Underground. I mean, I, w- I, was, I wasn't there for the whole time that's covered in the documentary, but for for a little bit of it, um, I knew I knew these individuals in it, and honestly, as I look back at my witness experience, being involved in that was the absolute high point, <laughs> because um, I guess like a lot of creative minded people, or weirdos, or misfits that you know put on the J.C. Penney suit but still don't always fit in. You know, you never felt celebrated in the congregation. Uh, for your creativity, you know, it was looked down upon. Oh, why is this yeah. person writing a book? Why are they, why are they playing music? But getting involved with the folks at Nuclear Gopher there in Minneapolis was a whole different thing. You know, we went up and played uh, the October Riz show that's featured in the documentary a little bit. That was the first time I ever felt celebrated uh, by my witness community, and um, it kind of gave me back then this idea of like, wow, I can be a creative person and be a Jehovah's witness. Well, I guess long-term that doesn't ultimately work out, but at least at the Mm -hmm. time, you know, it gave me some hope that I could pursue my dreams. And I think a large part of what this documentary is about is that, you know, no matter what your circumstances are in life, you know, it may not even be Jehovah's witnesses. You know, you may have difficult circumstances in life. Uh, Creativity uh, will get you through it and creativity will help you build a better life. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people sort of feel that way, and especially if they have that, those creative juices. Um, and in a way, you've got double jeopardy if you're a highly creative person and slightly, um, well, you described uh, yourself or, or people like you as misfits. Um, if you're a misfit in in Jehovah's Witnesses, then that's particularly tough, isn't it? Because Jehovah's Witnesses are already um isolated in many respects from the community and then the only little bit of community you've got left you don't quite fit um that's i think that's a really hard place to be oh i would agree you know you feel you feel like a minority in a, within a minority yeah and you know just around people that you feel like don't always get you mm-hmm. And, you know, they throw around that that term, oh, you're weird, you're weird, you know? Well, I celebrate that term now, but at the time, it was like an insult. Mm. Oh, why are they saying I'm weird, you know? What do I need to do differently, you know? I'll tie a, I'll tie a better knot for my tie or something, I don't know. So what was it that made you um, feel that way? I mean, if people are telling you that, I guess that's going to be a bit of a clue. Um, but why, what is it about you that made people think, it, yeah, he's, um, this is not quite the same as the other witnesses i don't know i think it's just that creative mindset um creative people like it's in the documentary they can be a little eccentric or quirky or something like that i think within you know high control groups cults and something uh, there's there's this idea if you've got to fit this mold you know here's the mold here's the template you know here's here's the polo shirt here's the khakis (laughs) and you know if you're interested in, in writing a novel or recording an album or you know something like that or painting a picture you know, these are not normal Jehovah's Witness activities. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I didn't know too many people like me. And like, even like, you know, there might be an older sister in the congregation who paints that everybody thinks she's weird because she paints and she, she sings opera and stuff. You know, it's not 
like open like hostility but just kind yeah. of a blanketed kind of like looking at you one way or another and then what what always happened for me is like whenever i tried to pursue anything creatively inevitably you get shut down by the elder body or my father or a circuit overseer or you know somebody would ultimately come along and say oh it's time to stop this you know mm -hmm. it's too worldly it's too this it's too that yeah so um i think there's a couple of things i want to pick up there um, one is the philosophy a sort of philosophical question i suppose that um when you're in a group like jehovah's witnesses it is you are expected to um fit into a quite a conservative uh type of view of the world um they're not a group that encourages risk-taking or um you know thinking outside of of whatever you're being taught you know actually the thinking is done by the governing body and the elders then transmit that to the rest of us and um we're not really supposed to get too engaged with all these difficult questions but i guess when you're creative you're, you're thinking all the time you're so it's not just the art that you're producing you're also doing a lot of thinking which is not encouraged oh i agree i think i think that people who can think creatively about a painting or a music or a book or a sculpture or something like that you know they're wired to think outside of the box so i uh the documentary really helped me put into context that because i hadn't really ever thought about it that way but seeing mm -hmm. that it was like well yeah no wonder there was this kind of blowback all the time it's like a creative person will eventually start asking very creative questions about the group they're in and i think that's that's yeah. inevitable yeah it's, it's it's partly because as a creative i think you can um you can imagine other worlds in such a, a vivid way and other ways of thinking about things, you know, um, that's not really what they want. I would agree with that. Yes. Yeah. So in terms of what you were into when you were a Jehovah's witness, what sort of music were you into? What sort of art were you, were you doing? Yeah. My main thing has always been writing. Um, okay. that was, that was what I was most into. Okay. I, I, you know, I tell these little stories about the time I wrote my first short story and was really proud, you know, it's probably cringy to look back, but at the time I was very proud, you know, my first <laughs> short story. My parents wanted to see it. Okay, well, here comes the little highlighter, you know, like they're the worst editor. Oh, why'd you use this word here? Well, let's think about <laughs> this here. A time I had my conversation with my dad, you know, when I'm in high school, and he's like, well, what do you want to do? I think I'd like to write a novel. Well, let's think about this, you know, is that <laughs> really something that a Jehovah's Witness should be doing? So I, I was kind of always that was shut down. I would say like in the in the 90s when Nirvana came out with Smells Like Teen Spirit and everybody I knew suddenly had a guitar. That was kind of when I got into music. Yeah. You know, first doing, you know, Weezer Nirvana covers, but then ultimately, you know, as a creative person, get, doing covers gets boring. So you start writing your own stuff. Uh, what we were doing at the time around the nuclear gopher era was uh, electro pop. Um, synthesizers, loud, crunchy guitars, uh, a drum machine, and you know, pretty female vocals. I, I remember, I remember at the um, you mentioned Nirvana there. So uh, at that time, I had a little um, wedding band. You know, like that. That was one of the few times you could play music was at weddings. So um, I had a little wedding band, and we we went in this little caravanette thing um to yeah. to the venue it was really exciting and, and one of the guys there the, the bass player he, he had a copy of that nirvana 
track so it was new at the time and um yeah. yeah that really worried me it was a very disturbing thing that because it was so exciting um as a piece of music as a track it's like something you never heard before but it sounded wrong really there's something about it that just didn't it was like it really bothered me hearing that <laughs> i'll tell you i'll tell you just a funny little nirvana story you know because yeah. like we were also the kind of kids like in nuclear gopher where we'd always have out the camcorder you know doing puppet yeah. shows or something so we decided oh we'd make a little you know nirvana-esque music video and one of my uh friends there in the congregation i guess he'd seen kurt cobain wear a dress or something and something so he he grabbed a dress and <gasps> you know we, we were all costumed up so yeah once again you know parents see it and like oh no mm-hmm. we got to get the elders involved they're all becoming homosexuals because of this rock music and it's just yeah you look back and you laugh, but it's just like that was just par for the course of how things yeah. tended to go. Just so suppressing of your any little hint of, um, yeah, creativity or anything. I, I, I was interested in in plot lines. So um, when you're writing, if you're writing a novel, um, clearly a lot of the problems stem from you know, you, what sort of person is your protagonist going to be, I should think? And, you know, how do we want to be rooting for this guy? Because he's, uh, you know, he's, he's not a good guy. And um, uh, and there's lots of immorality in lots of the the popular novels and stuff. Does that, did that sort of restrict your creative juices? It did and it didn't. Um, the first thing I ever wrote was a screenplay called Truth, which was basically <laughs> my take on a Jehovah's Witness drama. But I wanted oh, to do one that was like realistic, you know, because the dramas were always so cheesy and and weird. But I wanted, okay, let's do <laughs> a real, you know, movie script mm-hmm. of what it's like to be a Jehovah's Witness. It's a very Jehovah's Witness script for sure, but it was at least honest in a portrayal of what it was to be a teen in that era. Um, mm-hmm. But most of my other writing, though, I did, you know, with the intent that nobody would ever see it. Right. Just as a creative outlook. I wasn't writing novels just to be like, oh, I'm going to get this published. You know, I'm going to be a New York Times bestseller. It was just something I had to get out of me. So yep. my first novel I wrote, it's still unpublished um, and will always be unpublished. But that was one I did write <laughs> as a Jehovah's Witness. And looking back, it's, you know, it's very, it's very clearly a book about a lot of masturbation guilt, I think. <laughs> Uh, that, 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 yes, that manuscript. I remember called, that well. It, it was that manuscript was called with fingers and other instruments. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm being too edgy for your show, but I'm just no, no, that's that actually fine. But yeah, yeah. When, I, when I did get out of the Jehovah's Witness, though, uh, my thing was like, okay, finally I'm free. Finally, I can pursue uh, actually having a book published for people to read, and. I was uh, very fortunate to be able to tick that off the list. Right. Brilliant. Let's talk about that then. Let's talk about some of your uh, interesting projects that you're involved in as well. So uh, yeah, tell us about the book and uh, what, what sort of things you're doing. So back then, you know, I feel like it, when you get out of the witnesses, you have a lot of thoughts, you know, mm-hmm. questions, emotions, feelings. And as a creative person, you're going to get it out some way. You're going to write a song about it. Or yeah, in my case, I wrote a book and I know several other people that have. Uh, my first novel to be published was called Paradise Earth Day Zero, and it was a speculative fiction. I think as witnesses, we always thought, oh, what would the paradise be like? Oh, what's mm-hmm. it going to be like? You know, that was our favorite hobby. 
And I started thinking, okay, what would what would an Armageddon experience actually be like? You know, what would it be like to, you know, live through an event that's basically the mass murder of everybody? And then on top yeah. of that, your your foray into the, the, the new world is okay, we're gonna clean up all the bodies, we're gonna clean up all the debris. Yeah. So I was just I was thinking realistically about their end of days, their you know, astrology. And I, I wanted to make a speculative fiction about that. So I got that published. I followed that up with happiness, um, next exit, to kind of lighten the mood. It was a Jehovah's Witness romance novel. Uh, you know, technically Jehovah's Witnesses were not supposed to read romances, but my grandmother had a whole shelf full of them. So that was kind of my little loving tribute to mm-hmm. uh, my grandmother. But it was also, even though the main character is, is female, it was pretty loosely uh, a ripoff of my life and my exit mm-hmm. from the religion. And then, what else are you what else are you doing? So after I after I got done doing novels, uh, I got into comic book creating, uh, working with a great bunch of kids. Uh, we called her Stout uh, Stash. And then, you know, it had that kind of vibe that Nuclear Gopher had, that kind of DIY, let's all get together, we're a bunch of weirdos, let's do something cool. <laughs> so we published uh, so many uh, comic books, graphic novels, anthologies, so that was a big part of my life. And uh, all that's kind of been a segue into, or a stepping stone into what I'm doing now, where I'm, I'm working for, uh, independently, but for a book publisher, a guerrilla convict. They mostly do a true crime sort of thing. And my latest step has been into the world of documentary film, uh, with Outlaw Films. Uh, and they do kind of like counterculture crime type stuff. So we just had come out. Um, Dopeman, America's First Drug Cartel, which is an exploration into the history of the war on drugs and these Prohibition-era mobsters that were kind of the first kingpins that in the illicit narcotic trade. So I did art and animation for that. And I'm currently working on, which should be coming out early next year, is, or actually the end of this year, I believe, it is A Tortured Mind, The Reality of Post-Incarceration Syndrome. And it's kind of through the lens of a guy who's no longer with us, Ryan Leone, it looks at his story, but the larger story of of how uh, drug offenders are are treated in the American criminal justice system, and kind of the tolls and the PTSD mm-hmm. that come from placing nonviolent people into very violent situations. Yeah, wow, that's a very eclectic uh, mix of of activities. <laughs> Today. Ask me next year, and I'll be like, "Oh, I'm making a sculpture now." <laughs> no, it's just always had this drive to catch up for lost time, and there's been a lot yeah. of things to do over the years. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm achieving them, ticking off the list. Do you think that um, I used to think about myself as kind of an observer, um, even when I was a witness? I felt that one of the things I I could bring to something was that I looked at things as if from a slightly removed situation because of the fact that we were in the world but no part of the world do you do you still feel that you've kind of got that ability yeah yeah for sure like yeah being an observer is exactly a good way to i mean like any any good writer is going to be an observer yeah you're listening to how people talk and and you and being a witness you know you met a lot of different people in the ministry Mm -hmm. 
lots and lots of different people, even though, and you know, you can be their best friend, but you can sit there and kind of study them, I guess. Mm. And then, you know, I, I spent a good many years bartending. So that's kind of another way to get involved. And I just like meeting people. It's like, I don't, I don't care what their background is or, or what they're coming from. Everybody's got a story to tell. And as storytellers, it's kind of our job to listen and learn so that we can communicate that accurately. Yeah, I, I, I think that semi-detached feeling, I still feel it anyway. Maybe I'm I'm on my own, but I feel like I, I'm never quite fully immersed in the in society. Um, I, you know, I am part of it now. I vote. I have political opinions. I, you know, get involved in those things. But I still, it still feels slightly like there's a bit of distance there. Um, I, I don't, I don't know where that's just. It could be my personality. I don't know, but it feels like that's part of that that conditioning that we had. Yeah, I agree. Like, I feel like, and I don't know if that's. I definitely relate. I don't know if that's a permanent thing. Mm-hmm. One of my biggest realizations of late is like, okay, just because you've disavowed the faithful and discreet slave or 1914 or whatever, and you know the governing body's bullshit, just because you did that 10 years ago, there's a lot of underlying programming yeah. that still remains how you react to just life situations. I'm having to look at it and say, I'm reacting this way because it reminds me of the time two elders came over. Or, you know, something like that, yep. you know, it's it can be innocent things in life. Someone just wants to pop by for coffee. You're like, oh, why are they really coming over? What do they really <laughs> want to talk about? So we turn visit. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, for, I think, I think for those of us that have been out for a while, it might be a good time to start examining our little mm-hmm. personality things. It's like, is this still a little bit of watchtower hanging on? <laughs> you know, whether we completely rooted out or not. I mean, mm-hmm. I was born into it. Like I said, third generation. So I don't know. Nature it's, or nurture. I got I got hit both ways with it. Absolutely, me too. I'm I'm exactly the same. Uh, I still live in the same city that I was raised in um, as a Jehovah's Witness, and where I pioneered trunched around those streets. Um, so I um, last year was a difficult year for me, and um, I, I sort of felt everywhere I went, I was doing a lot of cycling, and everywhere I went things reminded me oh that's where that root call was that i used to go to that's where i used to take my mum to that root call and oh that brother used to work work over there and live over there. and that kingdom all i helped build which is now now um an islamic center you know and i was just sort of it was constantly reminding me of of that life so yeah it's still there <laughs> yeah well i i i did a thing which i I'm, I'm starting to see that some people do is just leave the area yeah so I, I jumped across the country mm. and had 10 very action-packed years of trying to find myself uh, mm. and, you know, in, a, in a world that was, you know, one I was thrust into and didn't really always understand the ground rules for. Yeah. And you're, you're kind of living off the grid a bit now, apparently. Um, you said to me, you're creating a paradise in your own backyard. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you know. It's a weird thing going on in this country. Everybody's traveling around, especially uh, these days. But uh, my wife and I, she's she's an artist. Uh, we, we've worked, you know, as bartenders for many, many years. Uh, but we had to get a piece of land and we thought we need to devote ourselves at this time in life. The kids are raised. Um, it's time to focus on us. So we need to be creating. So if that means living in a tent in the woods. As long as we can write and play music and make art, then we'll be happy. But we've been constructing, uh, yeah, we, we're making the paradise, basically. 
Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses don't want to help. I, I've invited them to come help us. Like, <laughs> come on, he's been saying we're going to make this yeah. paradise. Here we go. But I mean, I joke about it, but it's like, it's such a silly thing. Oh, we're going to turn the earth into a paradise. Mm. Well, you can do that today. You could get it. a piece of land in some beautiful area and, and yep. put up your cabin and mm. knock yourself out. Go get a lion yeah. or tiger if you really, yeah. really want to. <laughs> All these things that you're hoping for in the future, yeah. you mm. can be making steps towards it today. So, yeah. We live off grid. We're enjoying it. Um, and, you know, day by day, building cabins, building hutches, planting gardens, you know, doing all that kind of stuff that and, you know, cleaning up beer cans, all that kind of stuff that we, we thought we'd be doing. I'm getting to do it. But not you're not having to bury all the dead bodies, though, uh, from the Armageddon beforehand, which is great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly you know we, we just have to pick up trash and scrap yes. metal. it's it's, yeah. it's not bad and the good thing for us is we can take those cans and scrap metal and and build sculptures or build mm. this or that because we have no mm. building codes it's uh -huh. also creative freedom to do whatever you want where i'm at so that really excites me fantastic well brilliant um so um what what's your plans then for going forward as we come to the end of our little stint um for this this part of the podcast what what are you what have you got planned obviously you're, you're involved in this um promoting wits underground which is very exciting what what else have you got going on uh what i've got to do still is I, i've got a graphic novel about ernest hemingway fighting nazis ah, loosely historical Loosely historically based, uh, oh. and then drunkenly embellished in, in true Hemingway style. <laughs> but I'm hoping to finish that that graphic novel and get that out. And then after that, I, I decided last night I'm going to run for mayor of the town. Uh, under, under, under the pseudonym Mayor McCheese. I don't know if you get that <laughs> reference or if that's just strictly American. But yeah, it. that's the plan. But yeah, I, I'm going to have a whole political campaign of, uh, you know, vote for Mayor McCheese and is that is it going to be a like the McCheese thing? Is does that mean it's going to be a sort of spoof party, or are you going to? Because we have something called the Monster Raving Looney Party in um, yeah. in the UK. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The American equivalent is like the Libertarian Party, but I'm I'm <laughs> I'm apolitical. I, okay. I, you know, I, I I don't fit into any kind of box. Definitely not a political box. Uh, I just know I travel around this small town and everyone hates the mayor. So I don't know. Right. I like my okay. chances. Yeah. He's in uh, 2024. Okay. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> well, thank you for having me on. Everybody, please back the documentary. It is absolutely amazing. You will enjoy it. You will cry. You might learn something about yourself. Please share it with anybody you think likes Good music, a good story. Scott and his team did a, a tremendous job. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for that. Thank you, Anthony. It's been great Bye to talk guys. to you today. Thank you, Anthony. That was really interesting. And um, I'm going to ask you, Denise, some of the similar questions, really, because I'm I'm fascinated by um obviously part of what I said in my introduction is that I'm interested in how people people make sense of their life and their world and their identity after leaving this this organization and i think you know creatively that's a big part of that so maybe just first if you could just give us a bit of a, a brief introduction of yourself and um and who you are please sure well first thing i want to say is you three are breaking the rules already because you've all got beards and moustaches <laughs> no right in different stages i mean Mine's very gray <laughs> anthony's gone the whole hog you know with yes, his yes. that definitely wouldn't have been allowed would it 
Uh, so, Denise, I'm just going to say real quick, I don't mean to interrupt, but notice how every ex-Jehovah's Witness guy has a beard. It's yep. a, a yeah, it's so true. <laughs> well done. <laughs> well, I've been rebellious in a different way. <laughs> so um, where shall I start? I was raised mm. from the age of 10. And my mother oh, converted from Church of England in the UK. Right. Protestant, I guess you could say. And then she was... Um, yeah, she got married pretty rapidly because obviously as a witness, you know, you weren't allowed yeah. to sleep with anyone before you no. got married. And so she was kind of match made with somebody who has already been a witness for 10 years. And then he became an elder. So my pathway was, what do I really want to do? Go and visit my cousins in South Africa. So I, I saved up some money and did a little job and went to South Africa for a five weeks which was freedom because they weren't witnesses my cousins you know so that was great but and then I came back and I wanted to be a model you know as you do when you're a teenage girl <laughs> and of course that was no every time I thought about mm. it they'd say something at the convention you know of course yeah. modeling wouldn't be a suitable um, occupation for a young woman so then I thought well I am creative my mum was creative too but my, my options are limited here, so I'll just throw it all in and I'll just become a full-time pioneer. And so I was a full-time minister, which is, as you know, preaching 90 hours a month at the time. Mm -hmm. And I did that for 10 years. That's really hard. 10 years outside. Yeah. I, I, well done. Sentence, I think. life sentence, right? <laughs> yeah. And then... It got worse because obviously I then had to marry within the witnesses and yep. you don't really get to find out who you are and <laughs> what yep. you need. and So you marry and then regret it later. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that because my ex, we're really good friends still. <laughs> that was 30 years ago we got divorced mm. and we're still good oh, friends. Man. And we um, lived abroad. So in some ways, I wasn't like you. I didn't stay in my hometown. I got away. I lived mm. in Europe, made new friends of witnesses. But when I left, I came back to England and I sought out my long lost birth father. And uh, he'd left, you know, when he saw my mum was becoming a witness, he was off. And so I started to develop a relationship with that side of my family, which mm. meant I had some support. Then my sister left three years later, my long-lost sister. So right. we've been best friends mm. ever since. And we moved to London and just lived the high life, started writing music, uh, worked in the music industry, uh, BMI, which is an American royalties big one, mm. uh, next to ASCAP. And I worked for them for a couple of years and met singer-songwriters, co-wrote, went to showcases. It was great fun that time. Went in the studio, recorded a couple of my own songs with a professional producer. And he'd worked with some celebrities in the past. So that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. I loved those. Uh, those songs were great. I kept them as um, close to my heart like you would, you know, a piece of jewellery, a valuable piece of jewellery. That was my thing. And then people kept saying to me, you've got such an interesting story. Why don't you write a book? 
I said, um, oh, no, you know, never imagined myself to be a writer. I was an artist um, when I was a witness. That was my first outlet. And and then I just thought, well, maybe I could. Started writing. And after about two or three years, I this dark night of the soul descended on me because I'd realised I may be having fun, I may be left the witnesses but obviously there's a whole lot of heavy stuff that I haven't dealt with yet Mm -hmm. and so writing was cathartic but painful and so um, at this time I went into hiatus with everything didn't do any music either and it was as if I was my soul was dying you know but I was doing the healing process and came out the other end of it when I moved away from the big smoke and I came up to very rural East Anglia, which is um, Norfolk, mm. uh, beautiful coastline all the way around with beaches. And I mean, yep. Norwich, which is a great hub, you know, of art, culture. Um, it was, in fact, the capital of England in the medieval times because it was a rich area because of the wool trade. And London was second to Norwich at the time, can you believe? And so um, there's still a lot of that vibe and several different universities up here. So there's quite a a mix of people. And my creative spirit suddenly came back and I thought, Mm. I've got to get that book finished, you know. And so I wrote and wrote and then I went on travelling. I um, had got a fairly good pension from my NBC Universal days in London. That was my last job there where I was you know, enjoying being in the movie industry and seeing how it all works, going to free openings and, you know, getting DVDs and everything. <laughs> and so I've had I had all the media background and then I just decided to go travelling. So I thought that was probably the, the part that I really needed to heal, just to feel free, not only of the religion, but also of the what would you call it, the um, hamster's wheel, you know, being in the full-time job and not having Mm. the energy at the end of the day to do anything creative. And so I never went back to work full-time after that. (laughs) Managed to wing it. (laughs) And so I got the book finished while I was in Costa Rica. I was um, there for five months and I was doing my uh, digital nomad thing, you know. I got back, published, self-published that, and then Scott inter- in, interviewed me in the summer of 2019. So, so what, this- what is it? Could I ask you what what is it about Witness Underground and the and the project that was sort of so attractive to you? Why why did you want to get involved? Well, because of the music, obviously. I've I've actually um, written some rock music, and then also I've worked in media, and I've kept in touch with Scott since 2019. I was on his yeah patreon as yeah. well and so i was watching all these interviews that he was doing and there was a little bit of a ulterior motive as well because he kept saying if this is really successful and we get it out there i'm going to do an international version and i was like can i be on it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so now you know this is actually my first interview um that i did it wasn't even the podcast it was like oh you have a book and you reached out like let's do it let's have an interview so thank you for yeah. launching the podcast wow, yeah cool. i didn't good. know it was the very first one very that's first. great 
Yeah, so I've kind of been a loyal follower since yeah. then and just seen him go from strength to strength and mm. just amazed, you know, at the way. He's so he, cool, isn't he? Yeah. He's such yeah. a cool guy, isn't he? Hey? Yeah, very oh, stop, cool. Yeah, stop. Oh, I'm so, <laughs> I mean, love. I love it. You know, the way that he's, he's done this um, mm. indie docu, mm. I call it, is just so full of heart. Um, it's not, as we keep saying in our promotion, it's not just another bad luck story victim mode and this is what the witnesses do to you um it was obviously full of great moments and hope and vibrancy and creativity and just showing how people have grown and blossomed since they've Mm. left as well and so although i did go through that that dark night of the soul which you have to do i've just gone mad with my creativity in the lockdown yeah no, once I'd published that book, the whole weight of the whole witness thing was behind me then. So I thought, I can write anything I like now. And I got really into the medieval history in Norwich. So I lived in several different places where there were lots of, uh, you know, undercrofts and ancient buildings and mysterious characters and ghost stories and you name it. It's just all over the place. I'm so in love with this place. So I chose to write about three medieval characters. And I've published that this year. And then during the lockdown, I was also thrown together with a rock musician. So we were in the bubble, (laughs) (laughs) literally. Just the two of us working on music. And we clicked musically. He'd been a professional musician for 14 years and touring the world with um, some quite famous bands uh, as a session musician and just getting to know loads of um, people. He and knows. this is this is Peaceful Cacophony. This is yes. the band. So his name is uh, David Donnelly. Okay, cool. And he's the uh, musician extraordinaire. You know, he does all the instruments and does all the production for the music that we've done together, which is 11 tracks now. And we've we've actually re- released them slowly as singles. We've got three singles out there. We've got the fourth one about to be released. Is and this Spare Me? Is that is that the one that you? Spare Me was the first one. basically spare me from your attitude it's about okay. me walking away from oh, the witnesses oh, okay. and just don't want to know do you know what i mean mm, i've got yeah. my own life now so uh, it's a bit of an angry rock song of course and then I've, i'd written one in london which was uh, set me free and although i wrote it about living at living working in a gray office in a cubicle get me out of here you know you can just as easily put that Absolutely. to coming out of the witnesses yeah. or being in a relationship that you really is going nowhere and you really need to get out yeah. you know so yeah. it's as david says you know your writing's great because it's quite generic 
And that's uh, a screamer. I've got a bit of a scream going on in that one, which I loved doing. That was really <laughs> great. At the back of the bo- vocal booth, you know, he just went, go for it. Just do that yeah. scream, you know. <laughs> and so I loved that. And then I've done a bit more of a poppy one, which is Sun God. And um, about my first ever one night stand after I'd left the witnesses. Right. <laughs> So nearly nearly 30 years ago. And then I um, progressed on from there. You know, we just did ballads. Alt-rock is the the theme. He's a rock musician primarily. And we just, yeah, we've got loads of ideas for videos and we're just in the middle of all that too. And promoting uh, Scott's movie, obviously very enthusiastic to support other artists and musicians and Mm. especially Scott himself because, you know, it's going to be successful, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so tell me, um, actually, um, I might uh, just let in a couple of people waiting. We'll carry on talking, Denise. Um, but I'll just bring in uh, Mal and Ryan as they've been waiting in the waiting room there for a bit. Um, so Mal I'll just is say Micah quick Alan Loesch, author, Micah, and Ryan right. Sutter from the movie. Okay, cool. Um, so joining us now are Ryan Sutter and Micah. Um, so I'll say a quick hello to you guys. Um, I'll I'll come back to you properly, but I didn't want to leave you sat in the uh, the waiting room there all on your lonesome. Uh, so thanks for joining us, uh, Ryan and Micah. Thank you. Hey guys. <laughs> thanks nice for joining us. Lovely to see you guys. Um, we're just talking about, obviously, we're talking about the uh, the documentary, uh, which is, I guess, the whole point. Um, so, Denise, what what was it? What is it about the documentary in terms of its story that resonates with you? You know, I mean, I talked a little bit there with um, with Anthony about the the battle that creative people have as members of not just Jehovah's Witnesses, but I I would assume other very high demand sort of groups and cults um can you talk a little bit about your feelings and your experience while you were actually in that in that organization i i'm jealous of you guys i really am because here in the uk we didn't have anything like that you know um i hadn't even thought about being a musician in that sense but we'd always played kingdom songs my friend was a a very good pianist and she gave me piano lessons and so what we'd do is get round my house with the piano she would play and it would have all the sort of you know friends round and sing kingdom songs oh my goodness so that and my, my parents before they you know became witnesses were actually musicians folk circle and they started one of the early english folk circles in the early 60s and had a folk festival with some quite big names at the time. And I was obviously very young then. And uh, it was in me. You know, I just had mm. that that love of the English folk music. So it's still there. I still like acoustic as well. And I write acoustic songs. But I didn't have that outlet as I, as I grew older. I was pioneering, as I mentioned. And then I was a wife and mother towing the line. Yeah. Did a bit of painting. That was that was about it. So... I would say these guys have just nailed it because they managed to to do that, mm. to have that really good expression. Well, especially as rock music wasn't really approved of unless the lyrics were clean and, you know, you weren't saying anything too rebellious. Yeah. So, well, you know, kudos to you guys. You managed to do that and just and toe the line enough 
to to be able to do what you did, which is fantastic. And so, yeah, I just want to support that because I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd had, I wish I'd left a lot younger. Obviously, I was thirty two when I left. I'd had psychotherapy. I know you're you've gone into psychotherapy as well, Stephen. So, I would say that that for me was an essential thing to do. And I luckily did it before I left because I wasn't very well and I thought there's something wrong with me. Of course, it's all my fault, you know, because uh, as you say, you know, if you start questioning things or you think outside the box, there's obviously something wrong with you. So went along to proper psychotherapy and body therapy and realised that there was nothing wrong with me at all. Uh, it was mm. everybody else. <laughs> so after two years, <laughs> that you know and starting to paint and painting with really bold colors in the end I just felt like uh, my spirit was starting to come back into me and that's what gave me that shove to the, just to leave so you didn't feel like you're in the spiritual paradise then when you were Jehovah's Witness <laughs> I was in the spiritual prison <laughs> wilderness yeah yes yeah. and I, I'd say that I went from rags Rich, you know spiritually to riches mm. where I am mm. now because as Scott knows I'm not an atheist anymore I was angry with God for three years and didn't believe but uh, started getting interested in um, crop circles and spontaneous combustion in the book that I picked up from a charity shop I thought what's this all about you know and talking with the dead what's that you know <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so as a scientist I'm, I'm skeptical <laughs> but um you know what i what i love is that people can find their own way and and yeah. um, and make sense of their life in the way sure. they do uh, i just want to say i'm not a psychotherapist so um don't anybody think i'm okay. uh, psychoanalyzing yeah. them um no so uh, i'm different sort of psychology is really broad and complicated mm. and it, it's got different sort of wings but but yeah but i am interested in in the way people think of course and and how they how they tick mm. um uh, in our kingdom hall um denise we had a when i was growing up we had a, an actual pianist who would play the piano for the kingdom songs so mm. i think that was one of the last sort of times that that was allowed because obviously then kingdom melodies came out and we all had to just sing along to the the records but that was yeah. quite exciting because we had live music in the kingdom hall and we had a, a musician who came along who who ended up being baptized and came into the truth as they say um mm. not really um but became a witness and um he was a professional musician and so mm. we absolutely loved it it was, it was just mm. great that was the one of the few moments that yeah. you had any sort of feeling of creative expression, but he got into trouble for it. You know, actually then somebody approached him afterwards and said, you know, we think you're putting too many sort of little fiddly bits in between. Um, you know, it's uh, you just want to sort of play it straight for the brothers. Um, so even that little bit of creativity was robbed from us. <laughs> Criminal, isn't it? How they squash you. So yes, I, um, I definitely had that creativity in me anyway, because my mother's a, an artist and she was an English and art teacher. And so I had seen that for, as a child, at least been exposed mm. to some kind of creativity. And of course, it became more and more important for me to to purge all this stuff by mm. expressing myself. And yeah, as I say, I've written quite a lot of um, rock songs, which some of which are quite angry. And then, you know, I've done ballads recently as well. 
which you can take whichever way you want. But the latest one is ultimately nothing really ends. And for me, why that was written was uh, David wrote it and it was supposed to be about romance. And, you know, even if you split up with someone, you know, you still love the person and it never really ends. But, of course, my twist on it is um, I wanted to have it filmed in a graveyard. So I'm floating around in this hot summer's day, this long floaty dress with gravestones overgrown, you know, in the shadows. And I loved it. (laughs) So that's coming out soon, hopefully. Well, we'll put um, we'll put the links on the on the show notes for people to go and listen to your your tunes. Um, I think that's great. And um, yeah, yeah, that's really, really exciting. Mm. Cool. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, I shall go off now. And you're you're welcome to stay. But if you if you're off, got to go. Yeah. Thank you, Denise. It's been great to uh, to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Bye bye, guys. And great to see you, Denise. Good to meet you. Bye. Cool. Thank you very much. Right. Okay. So, uh, proper, um, more formal welcome to Ryan and Micah. So, obviously, Ryan, we've spoken to you before. Ryan, thanks for coming back onto the podcast. Um, you're obviously part of the uh, the documentary. You're one of the the people that's in it. And Micah, I've not spoken to you before, but I've seen some of your stuff. I've actually bought your book and and still not got around to reading it. So, I am so sorry. Um, I bought it around Christmas time last year, but I'm still um, trying to catch up with all the reading. But um, so let's uh, let's start with you, Micah. Tell us a bit about yourself and um, why you got involved in in the Witness Underground project. Okay. Uh, hi, uh, I'm Micah Alan Lash. Uh, so Scott reached out to me, and uh, I watched Witness uh, Underground, and uh, I really had to watch it twice um, because the first time when it ended, it it, it was like I did I didn't really remember anything, you know, and. And then the second time, I I think I understood a little more. Um, Yeah, it it was really cool to see a group of people um, come together in it, you know. And uh, I know for me, um, my interests were always criminalized by my Kingdom Hall, especially as uh, my, I, I don't know if it was before, but my father died when I was young and I really got into... Uh, reading like Stephen King, Edgar Allan Poe. I liked heavy metal, but I was always getting pulled in the back room. It was like everything about me that I liked was wrong. And it, I don't know, I, it, it, after, after years of that, it kind of made me hate myself. But uh, I actually, I wrote down my, uh, my thoughts because I knew off the cuff I wouldn't be articulate. So I think Witness Underground is a great documentary because it features uh, musicians who were told their heart was treacherous, they couldn't trust their minds, and they still embrace their identities. And despite being told they could live forever, they lived in the moment. And I think art that is created under an oppressive regime, especially Christian fundamentalism, is a testament to the human spirit because it's evidence that there is something deep down Watchtower can't touch that's that's beautiful that's that's brilliant yeah you're clearly a writer you should try it (laughs) yeah well i I am editing my third book right now of course you are yeah yeah no i was was joking uh fantastic i mean that's um that's something that we were sort of talking to um anthony about as well the 
the feeling of being a misfit if you're a creative person um within within a group that itself is kind of um that feels like misfits so you're you've got this double sort of trouble in that situation so even the small group that you can be a part of you don't quite feel right for you know um yeah. what why were they pulling you up michael what what was what was wrong with you why were they bugging you well I always uh, equated how I felt to, I was already an outcast, but among the outcast, I was a pariah. And I really, I never understood. Um, I noticed immediately uh, after my dad died and the, his funeral, which wasn't even about him. It was about so trying to prey on people to draw them yeah. in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I missed my father. Um, I was 13. I, I'm thinking, how do, I don't know how to be a man. And I just could sense this contempt in the congregation. And I had depression, which I think is a normal reaction, but they just hated me for it. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago when I was going through the uh, tactics of a cult and how they break people down. And uh, one, one of them, they, it, it was staggering me, but it said cult members must be a walking, talking advertisement for the group yeah. because nobody joins when their life is going good. And I wasn't that. I was sad. I was quiet. Um, I developed a very dark sense of humor as a coping mechanism. And what I what I really needed was just somebody to be like, "Hey, are you okay? Do you need to talk? Can let's see a movie?" But almost without question, for I lived twenty years of just neglect and indifference to uh, my extremely poor mental health at the time. So, so let's just um, sort of dwell upon that. The and this doesn't surprise me at all, but the organisation kind of blamed you for your depression and um, for not being a good witness, I suppose, because you weren't shiny and happy all of the time. Because, yeah, because I had buried my father. You know, how yeah. dare I? Yeah, and, and I never, I never grieved because I really don't think Jehovah's Witnesses can grieve because. Your dead loved one is just dangled in front of you and you're always praying, well, maybe tomorrow will be Armageddon. So you just stagnate and you're caught in that. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I was told uh, to get over my father. I, he was sleeping. I'd see him again. Um, and really uh, my my sadness uh, was just it, it was just criminalized. Like. It, it, it just it, I, I you know, it, it's hard for me to. Uh, I don't know, I guess the deal with, the, the, you know, they would do that to somebody because I because I think about it being done to my child. You know, it, it yeah. really was an insidious thing that not only was perpetuated by my mother, but uh, almost everyone in the congregation. Yeah, there's this um, there's this sense of um, paradise is is put off till till this point in the future. So actually, we we don't need to deal with some of these difficult emotional um things we, we should just sort of brush over them because that's all going to be sorted in the new order um which yeah. means that people have these chronic conditions and and they don't really deal with them because obviously the, the new order is going to sort all that out um and that goes for lots of things relationships personal mental health and um yeah even their doubts and uh, about the organization about the doctrines are all kind of well we don't need to deal with those now because that's all going to be sorted out in the future 
Um, and I think that's that's incredibly damaging. And and this um, this inability to live in the moment, I think, is part of that. It's it's we they they don't live in the moment. You're you're encouraged to live for the future. Yeah um and in the meantime they're killing you slowly because you're wasting your life knocking on doors pounding the streets going to meetings going around the hamster wheel oh yeah i'm it, it's it, it's i mean they rob you of so many things but the time you know yeah. is just i mean my mother hasn't spoken to me for three years um sorry and it, it's okay uh thank you um and, you know, my, I mean, my father, he, he had cancer, but when he was dying, they offered him blood and he willingly said, no, you know, he martyred himself for this group mm -hmm. and, you know, nobody cared They they don't even really acknowledge, you know, just be proud. He died loyal. And I wasn't, I was angry. Jehovah didn't save him because mm -hmm. based on what I've been told, I knew that he could, you know, you mm -hmm my book of Bible stories, all those horrible things, mm -hmm. but I've read all these fantastical tales. And I remember as a child praying very earnestly and pleading with God not to take my father. And uh, yeah, I, I just, it was funny. Every time I went to therapy, it would be going well. And they'd say, well, we, we think like you maybe should pursue your interest and in all this but we think you should leave that religion. And every time they said that I stopped going. <laughs> so I would, I went to countless ones and then they'd always be like, you know, you're not perfect, but we think you are an all right guy. Just maybe this group is, you know, no good. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So um, I know you went through some quite dark times um, in your leaving process and um, maybe we, we get you on and talk a bit more in depth at some of that um, stuff um i mean obviously you can talk about some of that now if you want to but i also wanted to um talk about how you have used your creativity to help your recovery and your ongoing work that you're doing with yourself and how you've managed to make sense of life after leaving so i know you're obviously you're, you are a prolific writer so tell us about that and um, how exciting all that stuff is so uh yeah during covid you know essentially that a stick got put in the wheel and, you know, I started to kind of, you know, it's weird in hindsight. It's like, I don't, I don't know how I worked up the courage to really look at like the XJW Reddit, but I knew something was wrong. And I did think COVID was Armageddon. Um, I was in a bad marriage. I don't, I mean, <laughs> we're divorced, so no good marriages end in divorce. Right. And um, so kind of after that, you know, it was like, there was just nothing left fundamentally I was destroyed and mm. it, it, it was like, I didn't even who am I now? And uh, so I've always loved writing. Um, I always wanted to write um, or publish a book and I had uh, written poetry songs. I can't sing or anything, but um, all kinds of stuff for about 20 years. So I decided to, I wanted to tell my story um, it, it, and certainly my father, he died when I was young and I was worried something would happen to me while I've been estranged from my child. I, I, I see him, you know, but it's just been hard repairing the life. But so I, with him in mind, um, I wanted to tell my story and my story does have a lot of darkness, but I didn't want to like, it's, there aren't, it's not flattering. I just, I, I told my editor, I said, brutally honest, because to not talk about the despair would be a disservice. Mm -hmm. Um, to everyone else who's suffering. 
Um, so on my 40th birthday last year, I published my first book. Um, I felt like that was a good way of celebrating my birthday for the first time. And then um, it, it, my, Mentally Diseased is my memoir's title. Um, and there's a poem before each chapter. And then I had about 100 unused ones that I'd written from age uh, 18 to 38. And so six months later, I published a, a collection of all those uh, titled Gangrenous Speeches. And then I also, um, uh, the, the book I'm working on now is called Despicable, and it's a horror novella about the Antichrist. Um, that probably was born out of, you know, people saying, I, you know, I, I'm an agent of Satan and serve Satan. I mean, I would say spite motivated that. And... <laughs> But, but I've always just loved horror too, you know, like yeah. I wanted to, um, I think as I said once, I want to tell people horrifying things in a beautiful way if I can. I just, I've always, I've always loved the dark and macabre. So um, that's probably been my favorite thing I've ever worked on um, because uh, I, I created my own, uh, what, uh, Elohim Seekers, um, you know, I created my own, uh, church and back history and and bylaws and basically all of the church leadership um doesn't uh, protect children they they, mm -hmm. they abuse them so it's kind of a it, it's kind of taking that darkness and putting it somewhere that i feel is more i mean certainly better than you know being anger or violence um and uh just it's it's, it's just been really fun to do that. It's been very rewarding and to create without any restrictions. You know, if I want to use profanity, yeah. I don't have to worry about, you know, Sister Johnson not liking, you know, what it, it it's freedom. It, it really has been a liberating thing. Did you feel that then? Did you feel that sort of feeling of liberation when you can just sort of put your thoughts onto that page, regardless of what other people might think? It's this, this is what I'm doing now. I did. And, you know, I had hoped for closure in telling my story, but I didn't I didn't get closure. I got empowerment. I will tell you that, that day I felt 10 foot high and it was just like I just felt like I could bend the universe to my will. And it was like, you know what? They can take everything from me. They can destroy me. They can shun me, but they can't make me not pursue my passion. And that. I, you know, that's such a great feeling. I wanted to, I, I've tried to encourage other XJWs to pursue their passions, you know, because um, mm. I, I, I understand talking about the theology and dogma, but at the same time, that's not my identity. You know, I don't want to yeah. break down their ever-changing teachings. I want to pursue uh, what I'm passionate about. And it, I mean, it's led to, you know, crazy things like uh, Scott, you know, asking me to you know, help him crowdfund for it. Like it, it just, it was such a cool thing to, it was like, Oh yeah, this is a guy who like gets it. You know, he's doing what he wants mm -hmm. and it's, it's reflecting back at the society and their abuses, but it's not just that it, it has its own story and it focuses on the people where the, that's where it should be, you know? Yeah. I was going to ask you what, what is it about the, the documentary that you like so much? I mean, I've got a couple of favorite moments in it. Um, what, what for you, what is, what is one of the things you, you said you had to watch it again because it, I guess it was quite overwhelming. What, what, what are some of the things that you kind of really like about that, uh, the documentary, the piece of work? Well, I thought it was really neat how people, you know, connected and 
I guess maybe the loyalty, I really didn't experience that. That really wasn't my experience. You know, I, I basically lived soft, being soft shunned for 20 sure. years. And um, it, for me, art saved my life. I also paint. Um, I like to do abstract paintings. But, you know, writing, painting, that's what saved my life. I even, in my memoir, I talk about once uh, uh, I went to a, a therapist and they asked me to name my friends. And uh, I just listed my favorite singers because that's all I had. You know, I didn't right. have people that spent time with me. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it was, you know, I thought it was really cool that they found each other and built this thing. And it seemed like a really awesome, positive experience that personally I felt envy for. And then, you know, the toxicity of a watchtower, like it always does, mm -hmm. gets its yeah. tendrils in and rips it all to pieces. But these people still, you know, they they were because because I think some people when they talk about being an XJW, um, they're very contrived a lot of times. They they try and present a version of themselves that perhaps isn't them, you know, but but I like the vulnerability and the honesty and talking about, you know, the struggle and, you know, you have to be true to yourself, even if it comes at catastrophic loss. You know, sometimes you just, you know, that's just the way it is. And I, I just I think it's a really great story. And I just haven't encountered much like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I just sorry. I don't mean to ramble, but I, it just really resonated with me. Hi, I'm Rhett Sutter, and I'm doing a demonstration tape on the modern audio equipment that our studio has just in case you want to come and record in our modern studio nuclear gopher was a record label and online community of jehovah's witnesses who all did indie music It just blew up, but it all stayed in these weird little bounds. Witnesses can listen to music. It's not like a footloose situation where like the preacher's like, no music ever, but stuff is frowned upon. You need to really beware of that disco beat because that disco beat invites the demons. This is not inviting the demons, it's Lionel Richie. They think that any moment now, God is going to destroy the world. At 17, I basically thought to myself, what am I doing? Is this how I want to live my life? Like, do I even believe this? If they just treated people all right and had some kooky beliefs, I could totally live with it. But friends who committed suicide because they're gay and they're a witness, everything just changed. Music was my savior at that point. The moment people started taking it seriously is the moment that someone would start to go, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. We start talking, and she's like, well, so if we split up, would you still be a witness? What I actually said was, no, I don't believe any of it anymore. And I never saw her again. Your wife? Yeah, I never physically saw her again. It was Nuclear Gopher was very special. It created a space for people to be eccentric and creative and also as healthy as you could be in that culture. And while it lasted, it was like the best. It's so nice to see people taking something that was so negative and finding a way to, to create around it and and turn it into something creative and something new, uh, which which I think is is brilliant.
Cool. Thank you, Micah. Um, let's bring in, um, you're more than welcome to, to stay while we talk to Scott and Ryan. Um, so, but if you want to go, that's, that's entirely up to you, but, um, but feel free to, uh, to jump in the conversation. Um, so I'm going to bring in Scott and Ryan together because obviously you two heavily involved in the actual, uh, the film. So, um, Ryan, your, your story is is very much featured in the in the documentary. And Scott, I'm sure our listeners will know that Scott, you're the filmmaker. Um, tell me how you're feeling about this uh, this big push to get the film recognised and out on the streaming platforms and get more people to watch it. Um, tell us how you're feeling about that. I feel really excited about it. Um, it's a part of my life that you know I've been out. I've been out of the religion since 2004. So um, to go back to this and sort of tell this story all these years later and to, um, I mean, I've continued to make music this whole time. Music has continued to play, as is clear in the documentary, a huge role in my life, Chad's life, Cindy's life, Eric's life. Um, we keep doing this. Um, and uh, sorry, my mic is apparently a little hot, so I'm going to dial it back a little bit yeah. for you. Hopefully that's okay. Um, better? Yeah, that is better, yeah. Okay, all right. So yeah. coming back to this after all these years was kind of a little bit of a gamble for me emotionally mm. uh, because uh, I had kind of gone through my therapy and gone through all my stuff and sort of mm. moved on with my life. I spent a whole lot of time thinking about um, a traumatic time period from 18 years ago, and I certainly never thought I'd be going back to doing Nuclear Gopher again. Um mm. But I'm very excited about all of this because with this story getting out there, and and I will say just flat out, I hear what Micah said, I hear what Denise said. People mm-hmm. routinely say that they didn't see anything like this when they were in. And I know how special this was, and I knew it at the time, <laughs> right? Like I, I was also aware that other congregations didn't have this type of thing. And the way I always thought of it was, you know, the the brothers and sisters in the hall were my extended family and then my immediate family. Um, I didn't really see a big differentiation. And my immediate family, we were all musicians and we did hmm. music. So extending what I did with my immediate family to my extended family felt totally natural. It was never like a let's be rebellious, you know, let's yes. be worldly. It was all just let's do the thing we love together with the people we love. And so it felt different at the time and it felt exciting at the time and i know that i'm not the only one who felt that and so to have scott kind of bring us back here was a little bit worrisome from my part because i didn't want to be like revisiting yeah. old pain and stuff um but the fact that the movies had such a huge reaction from so many people and so many people resonate with with what we present there um feels really good it feels really validating i want more people to see it because i think it's doing a net positive in the world um and 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 that so that that's kind of where i'm at with it i i I really do hope i mean yes the kickstarter is a way to like earn you know some long overdue like necessary funding to help get this out to the wider audience but the end result is to get this out to the wider audience. The end result yeah. is that people who need to not feel alone don't feel alone. Um, and uh, and then, so I feel like it was worth doing. That's a long answer to your short question. It's a it's a great it's a great answer. I I, I suppose the nature of um, of films 
uh, these sorts of projects is that they it seems to take forever um uh, takes you a long time to get off the ground so obviously the long time writing it filming it editing it and then even longer to get it out to, to for people to see you've got the um the festivals circuit and then you know so it it's for you i guess you know you, you're having to come back to it not just once but again and again and again so i guess that can be a bit tiring but um i think the reaction to it shows that it really does mean a lot to people well it's it's given me some motivation to um re i never stopped engaging with music but i stopped mm. thinking anybody cared that i engaged with music um so it's nice to know that people did care about the stuff we did um i owe scott a mountain of gratitude from my perspective because as far as i'm concerned he sort of validated the first 30 years of my life uh and uh and i really greatly appreciate that and you know in the last five years scott has put in 500 years of effort on this film so you know yeah. like from that perspective i'm not gonna complain about going back to things because <laughs> the, the, I, I didn't have to watch the cut 800 times like scott did. <laughs> scott i bet you know three <laughs> every single, I bet you know every single line of that um, that documentary. Um, I caught myself quoting people yeah. in their voice inflection. Like I know every single line <laughs> so perfectly. It's like yeah, yeah. that part of my brain is used forever on that. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Uh, just looking at the Kickstarter numbers at the moment, I mean, it's it's really exciting. I don't know uh, whether it's on track to where you hoped you'd be, but you, you're kind of a third way to your target um as it stands on monday the 23rd so that's pretty exciting i think that feels really good yeah i think we're gonna make it um that has i mean what i've seen from campaigns is that first week you want to do 40 percent. so getting we're close to 30 percent. so we have one more day in our first week and right. it'd be great to like get on that track to give us confidence that we're going to get there we're actually launching something that i think would be great um to tell your audience is a match campaign and we're okay. still collecting some funds for that. So we're going to like lock in the number and everything's always at the last minute with these kind of things, but uh, that really helps encourage people to go for it. Cause it's, so what's that? Tell, tell us what that means. Um, so some people in our community have offered to put some money together as a collection and, but we don't get it unless other people put the same amount forward. Okay. And it's in the thousands, some, some thousands. Sure. And, um, yeah, so it's going to be like a by Friday, we need this amount, get this amount of money in, and then yeah. this other bunch of money will flood in, which is really exciting. So hopefully that'll get us where we want to go. But yeah, it's all really exciting. I love it. It's it's. Uh, I was very encouraging to see some people jump on early, and and it's yeah. not giving us money; it's pledging support, so you don't mm -hmm. get charged until we're successful. So if we're not successful, no credit cards get hit. Um, <laughs> if you are, um, I mean, it just shows us that there's like a community support for the project. Yeah, I think uh, already. I, I think it's you know it's it's it makes you feel good to be involved in it's like a lot of things um the whenever you um open your wallet in any way um part of that act is because you want to feel good whatever it is that you're buying there's a there's a feel good element to it and i think there's a massive feel good element to this this movie um, and there was something i want to say on that we crowdfunded the production of this movie and now we're yeah. in the end of the post-production phase like this is just we did everything it's done it's ready to go yeah but we want people to know about the film we want to be able to spread it as far as we can in one big push like you do any other film release and um 
we have created everything we ever dreamed of with this project over the last five years. Everything we've ever thought of. The soundtrack, of course, is an obvious one because it's a music-based film, but yeah. also merch, um, putting together all the old albums, putting together the DVD, the extras, the special features. Um, Ryan's going to be like slaving away, making old school cassette mixtapes and VHSs of the original uh, Nuclear right. Girl for movies. And, and there's just so much. And then also someone like, like uh, Denise and Micah who've come on today and Anthony, their books are involved in the project. So you get there. It's not just the ah. nostalgia piece of nuclear gopher. It's, it's not just what's available in nuclear or witness underground, the movie, but also there's a greater movement of with witness underground podcast guests and artists of all kinds of stripes of, of ex witnesses. And, you know, right now it's all ex witnesses. Um, so in the podcast, we eventually expand beyond that, even like ex cult members, anyone who's left a hmm. strong thing, but this, it's not just something old and nostalgic, like a documentary. It's, it's stuff that's available now, a new book, Mike's new book that's coming out. Mm. It's in the campaign. Um, yeah. So if you, if you submit it, if you like help us out at a certain level, you're going to get his physical books, all three, the whole trilogy. So cool. That's great. I, I, um, I looked at the levels, but I didn't, um, I didn't look that closely. Um, so yeah, that's great. Um, I'm glad you said that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's very optimistic. It's nice to see, um, that movement of creatives getting together and, and doing all this really interesting work. Um, how many years ago is it since you did it, Scott? When did you start this project? So in 2018, in January 1st, I started looking on the internet to see if there was any other ex Jehovah's Witnesses. Right. And I'd never done that before. Um, and I we there launched March 1st. There's none. <laughs> There's none. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I... I decided to like do cult like cultural anthropology research on the internet oh, about this okay. thing I'm a part of and I found yeah. it. And so we launched March 1st, um, did one month campaign like we're doing right now. And that was like, we want to keep doing interviews. And my very first set of interviews was exactly this set of interviews. I think actually Ryan's interview was um, this, that during that month or the one month before the campaign, because I'd right. already connected with him, but right. it would just be the first group was like this group. And it just right. was like, whoa, we, Having everyone have the same story, not just as an ex-witness, which is what I was doing mm. in general. It was, they all have the same story. They knew each other their whole lives and they made all this art together and they have an archive of footage and music. And they also kept making footage and music for years. So it was like, okay, there's there's something that can like really feels cohesive and we can make a film out of it. It's not just a YouTube interview series thing. It's much bigger. It can be much bigger than that. And that, I think that's remarkable ambition as well. I mean, that, I really admire that. Um, I guess when you start something like that, you don't necessarily imagine exactly how it's going to be. Or did you? Did you see this day coming? Um, yeah, I Scott? thought in six months I would have a finished movie and it would be on YouTube. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know how film festivals worked. <laughs> and yeah. I've written to so many people like, no, this is not a thing you do alone. This is, yeah. and I haven't done it alone, to be honest. If you look at the credits, there's like 40 people have done something over that time. And that's why credits are gigantically long. And we all wonder yeah. why we're watching the credit scroll, but it's because those people put something really important in the film. Yeah. And I'm watch grateful the credits, to every one people. of you. Yeah. yeah. Watch the credits. Stay till the end. Keep watching those credits. Um, that's what I say. Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, so Ryan, um, I saw on on Facebook that you were involved in, or you've been doing some work at home. You're putting a studio together. Is that um, is that finished now? Are you kind of done with that? Or? It is. Um, I'm in it. 
This is oh, it's cool. a blurred, ah, blurred background, blurred but okay. um, I am joining you from the Nuclear Gopher. Ooh, um, sure. This is the actual studio. There's uh, there's sort of two two rooms. One of them can be subdivided into two rooms, so that could be three rooms. There's kind of a lounge area, then there's like a kitchenette, and then there's the main control space, and then there's a separate room. I have been doing sessions down here with some new artists. Who have nothing to do with Jehovah's Witnesses, believe it or not, just normal people recording music because yeah, they true. like to make music. Um, mm. And uh, so, yes. Um, and then I've also been working on finishing up my first album in close to 10 years. Um, and uh, that's called Capistrano. That's going to be coming out in November. And uh, also working on the soundtrack and also working on three other releases for a relaunch to nuclear gopher so um nuclear gopher is not a nostalgia thing to scott's point um mm. this is a this is a re-established functioning recording studio working on new releases and new music and new stuff um and uh that's gonna right now if you go to nucleargopher.com you get our 1998 splash page with a sign up link on it which feel free to sign up for that newsletter because then i'll mm. let you know when the real thing comes um, but the uh, nucleargopher.com is coming back uh, and I'm working on that in addition to supporting this. So keeping busy on that. And I'm kind of excited about it because <clears throat> even though Nuclear Gopher went on, uh, you know, shutdown mode in 2005, um, I've been very musically active i haven't released a solo album in the better part of a decade but i've been in four other bands i've been recording doing other stuff doing other music so it's fun to get back to it i'm really looking forward to getting a solo album back out again i think it's the best one i've ever done some of the songs are in the movie soundtrack uh so that's exciting um and uh there may be some more stuff coming from eric and cindy too um but i'm not going to give too much detail okay. away on that okay uh, teaser new capistrano album is in the campaign as well so you're basically getting a pre-order of his new record um, if you at certain levels so you have to at look for capistrano level. yep so we, we keep mentioning this um, kickstarter page obviously the page will the link will be on the show notes um uh, clearly if you just type kickstarter and uh, windows underground into google or any other browser you can um, just go to windowsunderground.com and you'll wind yep. up there It'll be there. Cool. So um, it's easy to find. And um, there's various different levels that people can um, help support it. Even if they mm. don't want to give money, they please yeah. raise awareness of it. Share it yeah. to your social networks. Share it on Twitter, mm. X, whatever the heck that is now. Mm. Um, we want to get people, we want to widen this uh, awareness. So if you don't got a dime to give, fine. But if you can let some people know about it, appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. At the risk of uh, of triggering anybody, um, you know, advertise, advertise, advertise. Um, the rock stars <laughs> and the rock. Yeah, exactly. No, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. No, it's um, it, it's great. Um, I, I was just wondering, uh, Mikey, you, you you're obviously writing um, your own story, but you've also written some fiction. So, um, have you ever thought about um, trying to get some of that onto um, the screen or, you know, the small screen or the large screen. Have you ever thought about writing for TV or film? Uh, me? Um, yeah. Uh, you know, it's since I was 18, I just wanted to publish a book. Right. So er, I, 
crazy things have happened and it hasn't even been a year, but I just considered it all gravy. You know, it's just <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I was just like, okay, like that, that's a dream. And then somebody was asked me last year, they're like, what are you going to do the next year? And I was mm. like, any other time I've been asked that, I thought, well, I hope Armageddon comes next year. <laughs> and so I was like, well, what am I going to do? And I was like, well, I did one book. So yeah, it, you know, it's just been kind of pursuing things that are uncomfortable because for me, uh, in the countless hours I've spent thinking, it, I just feel like everything that make that I, that it feels comfortable is is unhealthy because you know, growing up in a cult, you're not taught boundaries, you're not taught anything really good. So, you know, nothing crazy, but I've just kind of tried to lean into uh, things that feel a little uncomfortable. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's a crazy idea. Who knows? Maybe, yeah. you know, someday you never know. Um, right, yeah, I screenplay. Just, um, yeah. So Celine and I, um, when we started um, the podcast the, the year before, we'd actually started a small production company as a father and daughter project. So that was our first father and daughter project was mm -hmm. to start a um, a little film production company. And we made a mockumentary called Dissonance. Um, this was before we did any sort of cult stuff, but somehow it got called Dissonance. Um, and um, and our next project was uh, a screen. We're writing a screenplay for a sort of sci-fi thing. And that's kind of stopped now. But Celine wants to resurrect that. So, yeah, writing a screenplay is really interesting because I'd never done anything like that before. I'd, I'd written creative pieces like novels and short stories, nothing as, you know, professional as yours. But um but that discipline was completely different. I was really blown by how different that process is, the way that you're writing mm. a screenplay. It's not like I expected. It's just kind of another version of writing a book. Um, it's very different in the way that it's written and the the, the sort of dynamism that it, you have to to put in when you're writing a screenplay. So yeah, might be worth having a having a crack at something like that, Micah. There you go. I've given you a um, my I an I, idea. I am. I, I did start work on a fourth book, but I also, and then I was like, wait a minute, I got to finish the editing, but I don't really like that part. But yeah, I do have like some more ideas. I, I've thought about a collection of sh uh, short stories, kind of. Um, I have an idea for a witch. Um, I really want to write about topics that were taboo because yeah. not only do I enjoy that, but I also know it pisses people off and I like that. So <laughs> I call that Thank the you, inner teenager. <laughs> a very strong yeah. inner teenager yeah, yeah. <laughs> i you know micah i might i might want to get your help on something uh james and i uh also zimmerman from the documentary we were discussing the other day the fact that 20 years ago we made a movie that uh, is called press one now and it does appear briefly in the um in the documentary um it ends on a cliffhanger and we never made the rest of it and we thought it would be funny to come back and make the conclusion to press one now where the main character which is me mr movie phone um he's uh you know 20 years older and uh he's reminiscing and so anyways we might need some help micah with putting together a, a sound uh, a screenplay for a follow-up to our unfinished cliffhanger masterpiece from 2002 just, hey, just hey, throwing uh, it out there what about yeah, that sounds cool definitely <laughs> There's also two horror film trailers that Ryan and James worked on that are also in Witness Underground and some of their footage is featured in our little pitch video for Kickstarter because uh, it's awesome. 
and dramatic. Um, and we're talking about shunning. So I put, I was like, yeah, this fits for that emotional part of like dissonance and creating chaos in the mind. Um, but oh. those films also never got made. Those are trailers for films that don't exist. Horror films that now we could make because they're not taboo. You know, it'd be fun to like yeah. just pursue that. <laughs> yeah, we we had a thing for a little while where we would get together to make movies and we would just say, do you have any ideas? And one night we got together and nobody had any ideas. And we said, all right, let's just film a bunch of clips from a, a horror film that doesn't exist we'll just mm. try to let the audience try to figure out what the story's supposed to be mm. and so we, we just came up with every insane thing we could come up with including grilling my wife's head and stabbing people and all this insane stuff and then we 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 uh edited it into this trailer for this non-existent horror film called nursery rhymes <laughs> and um so yeah then we did the sequel which was two nursery two rhymes and then, um, yeah, so if we, if we ever really wanted to make the movie, that would be amazing. That's, That's awesome. great. I'm excited. Um, coming up to Halloween, you know, it, it's just the right time to start thinking about um, those sorts of those sorts of things. Uh, Scott, what have you got planned then for the future? What's um, so this? Obviously, you've got lots of stuff going on here. We don't want to detract from that. But um, what are your what are your thoughts uh, well, for what you do next? The next creative project. So mm. I have a film I shot on the first of the year over the Christmas, New Year holiday, 2022, 2023, um, following a, a young woman who I met in Vietnam at a metal show. Um, she had the same camera as me and I went and talked to her and then we became friends and then she moved back. She's also from, grew up in the States, um, but she's a rock climber. So I shot this thing about mm -hmm. like musicians who live out of their cars in the wild in the U S um, all year round. And they rock climb and free solo. And they're like wild humans living out of vehicles. And the surprise <laughs> to me was that they were, that they're also musicians. So I'm like, I'm going to shoot this thing following my friend, Kate, um, Kate O'Flaherty, Chinese name. <laughs> she was raised <laughs> by uh, Irish parents. Um, yeah. Adopted. Anyway. So there's an adoptive story, which I really appreciate about her. I'm not yeah. sure if she still wants to dive into that because it's like very traumatic still. But when I met her, she was um, trying to find her biological parents. Oh, wow. And um, she found them. And then she was decompressing from that trauma mm -hmm. at 18, 19, 20 years. So it was like 20, 21 year old um, right. thing that happened. Now she's like in her late 20s. Anyway, so we filmed this whole thing. So I like, I shot this whole thing and it's, it's very much like back to my roots, like single camera. I'm like mm -hmm. really dangling off of a rock most of the time, what following her climbing and then she does it. Mm -hmm. So this whole thing I made that I haven't edited yet. And um, so I want to work on that. Right. And I also did this crazy thing, two things. I, uh, it's new, it's fresh. I have, a, I have, for the first time in my life, traveled with two suitcases. So I just moved to Panama. But before I came here, I was like, I have to go back to my stored stuff and get my Jehovah's Witness leather briefcase that I was like, it looked like a tattered piece of garbage <laughs> when I was using it in the 90s, but it was from the 70s. In that briefcase, I've kept all these years are oh, wow. all of my mastered cassette tapes, the original oh. DVD that I have from the last time my band performed as Waking Life, um, which was the Jehovah's Witness band that I had. And um, before that, they were AD, we were ADD Chronicles. And I shipped a bunch of that stuff to Ryan. He's like digitally archiving it. But in there were all my journals from like 15 to 23 years old. Oh wow. So the idea is to like make a memoir and Ooh. it's going to be heavy, I think. But also wow. like self-help. So I want to like mix it with like a little bit of because in that's like all the music and all the cool stuff I was doing with my like worldly band, my like normal humans band from high school. And then the transition <laughs> to like forming a band in the witnesses, 
and mm-hmm. like all my weird church notes from conventions mixed with like the girls I thought were cute and like sketches and like also terrible poems and lyrics that are like cringy but also revealing and I'm like swearing up a storm as like an 18 year old like I can't believe I have to deal with this shit it sucks like why am I stuck in this situation and right. it's like it's just ranting and like heaviness and and then like I think she's cute and like rhyme dumb rhymes. Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to do any right now, but like, it's like so cringy to read, but I think it's revealing <laughs> of like my life with all the cognitive dissonance I was living with. So it could be interesting to dive into bad poetry and bad lyrics and, that, <laughs> and, bad, that is, and then some okay songs. <laughs> that is, yeah. Sounds great. I mean, that is such a personal thing, isn't it? I, I never kept a diary. So um, I've, I've got nothing to go back to. The only thing I've got to go back to are, some four track um tape cassette tapes that um when um when i was how old was i about 20 i bought a one of these four track recording studio things um that that used tapes but obviously it used four uh, four track and you could record four tracks and then bounce it over to one and so on so i i i um recorded some songs on there um and i've still got them but i've not played them for years so that's my sort of last bit of history i think mm, still left cool. when well, i was a witness you know mm-hmm. a lot of what's in in witness underground from the nuclear gopher archive is actually four track cassette yeah. or even something even more primitive than that um ryan discussed a little bit what it is but that's yeah you could, it can be in a the, movie um, so that you could soundtrack a movie with those yeah. <laughs> you know I, i'm actually in the process for the purpose i mean the the the, all the all the nuclear gopher stuff that used that all the old recordings have been out available on like creative commons releases and stuff for a long mm-hmm. time but in order to make it more exciting for people who are just joining the party here um we're i i'm, I'm actively re uh, going to be reissuing and remastering and cleaning up and there's some awesome new software these days that lets you do some pretty great things even with your old four track recordings so um they already sound a thousand times better than they ever did back in the right. day. Uh, thank you, Isotope. I'm not going to advertise their products mm-hmm. directly but or too much, but man, it's, it's magic what you can do to get rid of tape hiss and remaster and remix things these days. So right. um, that's that's something that's going to be ongoing. Um, I will be doing reissues, especially of like the Lavone, um, which was kind of the band that started all of this. Uh, and... Uh, I've got like literally right over there is an archive of a hundred four track tapes. So um, they're uh, they're all here. They're it's all it's all still doable and and it's it's a really fun thing for me to work on these days. So and then Scott's Scott's di- I've got the box with Scott's too. So so he's his stuff is now officially part of the Nuclear Gopher wow. Preservation Society. <laughs> Very what good. Kind of music was yours, Stephen mine um i was i was sort of just solo solo singer songwriter um guitar just um uh, the the one song i remember was um the the lyrics were were all about how um science and evolution is actually just a religion and um they <laughs> they dress in white coats like they're sort of religious leaders and um you know, I mean, I'm a staunch evolutionist now and confirmed atheist. So, you know, I, I but that was me back then. And I think that was me trying to convince myself. This was me convincing myself about something I really wanted to believe. And I did a lot of that in my life. So, yeah, it'd be quite interesting to listen to it again. I do remember those lyrics, though. So, yeah, slightly embarrassing, but 
that's where I was. This yeah. idea of like looking back at mm. who you were, this idea that there's a connection to that person. I mean, there is through history, but like, it's almost like a different person when you look back, like who was that? Where was that yeah. mind? What did they believe? It's almost like a separate individual. And I think it's interesting to capture that in a book or in a lyric or a poem or a song. That that whole question to me is is a bit of an obsession as a as a psychologist. It's it's the thing that I kind of want to study. Um, because the whole question of identity and personality and our sense of self um and who we are and who we become and how we tell a story about who we were. Because I, I strongly believe that part of the job, part of our mission when we leave an organization like Jehovah's Witnesses is to find a way to tell a consistent or a coherent story. Um, if you see it as a complete break with your old self, I think that creates psychological difficulties. So for me, the fact that I can look back to old Stephen and understand what he was doing back then and it's still part of who I am now feels important, but I, I want to investigate and explore that. So that's kind of something I, I want to do for the future. So Ryan, you, you, really had, a, you had a thought there. Oh yeah. I just wanted to share, there was a guy, um, uh, his, he was a Chad. He wasn't the Chad who's in the film, but um, he was in one of the bands and his dad was a, presiding overseer in our congregation and we used to do a lot of recording at at uh at their place and um i remember having a conversation with his mom once uh about about why what wh why he became a musician why he got into doing music and he said she she was like you know he used to we used to tell him about the paradise we used to tell him about the future and about the all this stuff and the lamb and the lions and whatever and it was all boring to him and then he got a guitar and he was like oh this is something i could do forever and so suddenly he became obsessed with like wanting to live forever and the whole thing because he loved making music so much he never wanted to stop. <laughs> and I, I think about that a lot because I, I kind of like, you know, that actually was, believe it or not, kind of a motivation for all of this, as ironic as it is in retrospect. We, didn't, mm. we weren't doing this to get out. We were doing this because it was like, oh, well, we're going to live forever. Let's do something we love. And yep. um, and and it's funny because it was you know we had to invent our own diy world because it was the only way to to control it enough to keep doing it while still staying true to the what we believed mm -hmm. um but it just sometimes i hear people talk about it and it's so flip side from how i experienced it where it's kind of like well you know we were we were trying to do music and it was this kind of rebellious spirit and people were against it when i'm like mm -hmm. yeah like it was like that was the reason it's like oh i gotta have something to do for the next two thousand years <laughs> two million two so billion just, years yeah two billion years i mean yeah. i don't know at what point you get sick of playing a guitar but i haven't gotten there yet so <laughs> yeah 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 cool right um i think i feel like we're, we're coming to a natural end of our conversation today and um thank you so much um to our previous guests. So thank you to Anthony and to Denise. Um, thank you to you guys here, to Micah um, and to Ryan and obviously to Scott. Um, Scott, you've got the final word. So uh, what do people need to do? 
two things. Witnessunderground.com right now redirects to our Kickstarter campaign. So it's easy to remember, witnessunderground.com. Check it out and like watch our video. And then if you if you feel like contributing, great. That's amazing. It supports us. We don't get any money if we don't um, hit our number. And um, the other thing you can do if you don't want to contribute or if you're hesitant but you want to help out, you can simply like, comment, and share on our, our Facebook pinned video on Witness Underground um, landing page on Facebook. And also we're on Instagram and Twitter and a few other places. So anywhere you are, like comment, interacting with that helps hack the algorithm. And it doesn't boost it just to your, like when you share, it doesn't just go to your network. When you interact with it, Facebook algorithm like boosts it beyond your network. So just like interacting with what we've created, it does something behind the scenes that helps us out. But share it with your people. If you can, if you love it, like private message people about it. Anyway, spread the word in any way you can, I guess. Point. Sure. But witnessunderground.com is the main place and then anywhere on social media. Thank and, you so much. Doing, doing it once is great, but I guess um, if you do it more than once, that that's also good. So sometimes I feel like, oh, I've done this already, but um, I, I'm trying to do it more than just the once. I guess that's useful. Yeah, what we've learned from this campaign, we hired a professional to like learn how to run a campaign and he's also now on our production team to help us release the film he's been doing this like over 320 times he's released films he's someone i trust um he worked worked with him on the film festival run um he said that sharing the same thing to your personal facebook every single day once um is how people will see it for the first time like i have 2000 plus friends on facebook they're not obviously close friends but the people sure. i've met in my life and he's like, they won't even see it because the algorithm throttles whatever you share. And you're also competing with like those people's birthdays in the notification list. And that's where it actually shows mm-hmm. up in like in a little list that you have to click on to see what it is. No one's going to see it in their feed. Who looks at their mm-hmm. feed? Um, and it's going to get buried in other stuff. And uh, you're competing with world news, wars, and freshly baked cookies. And like, we're just that's... trying to get the message out. And we have a short oh, window to do so. Cookie. We're trying to do like a year's worth of marketing and like, 30 days yep. of time. So if you share it yep. every single day, your friends might actually see it and they will be thrilled to see it um, because it's a piece of art that's important, not world news and war and Absolutely. politics. Yeah. So and, and I will make a personal guarantee that if you haven't seen the film, so you're like, I don't know if I want to promote it or not. When you see the film, you'll wish you had. It's really good. Hmm. It's and really this is the guy who's it's about like, that's also an interesting thing about Ryan and I's. Hmm. I'm a director who's gone out to tell a story and he's the subject of the film. Right. But we're like, he loves the film, you know, like that says something. And it's well, really if really I hated the film, I would be trying to knock it down. Honestly. Okay. <laughs> Wouldn't it be an embarrassing interview if that were the case? <laughs> right. Well, there Can't was a lot of ways this could have gone wrong. I trusted Scott and it played mm. and it paid off, but there's a lot. I, 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 I was nervous. I was nervous five years ago. I'm not nervous anymore. Yeah, it's, it's just right. It's just so, you know, it's it's really just hits the spot for me. Uh, Micah, Ryan, Scott, thank you so much for coming on the, the show today and masses of luck with all your projects that are going on. Um, really appreciate you coming on. Cool Hackers, thank you again. Bye. Thank you, Stephen. Thank bye, you. Bye.